0: So our sermon today is a continuation of a series that we're in uh, called Pressing Pause in the Family. You can kind of gather a little bit there from the picture. Um, we'd like to just press pause on what's happening in families and then look at it. You know, when you hit the pause button, you can look a little bit closer to the details. And the whole purpose of this series is to take about five weeks to look at families and how they interact with each other. Um, we understand that not, not everyone is in a family. Well, I guess everyone's in a family, right? (laughs) Everyone's not in a family in the same way. Um, And there's people in different stages. But a big part of our church is in that raising young children stage. So we want to take some time to speak into that. And we know that God's going to speak to each one of us no matter where we are. No matter if that's something that we're looking forward to um, or if that's something that's behind us, um, God will still speak. So today's sermon really is more of a devotional on marriage, parenting, and slavery. And you're like, how did he connect those three ideas? Well, God's Word kind of puts in this one passage that I want to look at, it puts the ideas of marriage, parenting, and slavery in a really close proximity. And so I know I'm going to be challenged by talking about all three of those ideas. But I want us to just come back to the... and remind ourselves from the beginning that this series is a series on family. And we're speaking into the families in this room, and we're speaking into your life and how family speaks in your life. So have ears for that. Um, I would say that one of the most fundamental tasks of a parent is to show their child who God is. Parents trying to do a lot of things all at the same time. We're trying to raise children that um, are in the fold. We care for them, and then they grow up, and we want them to go out into the world. And, you know, at some basic level, we just want them to be productive citizens in the world. But more than that, I think we would all say we would just love to see our children one day just walking passionately with God. And not only walking with Him, but really understanding their identity as a person below God and how that relates and what their mission is in life. So I would say at some basic fundamental level, um, one of the greatest uh, tasks that we have as parents is to show our children who God is. And I don't know about you, but as I look at my family and as I just kind of uh, add up all of those moments in our family life, It becomes really challenging to think that the highest, one of the biggest ideas is that I would show my children who God is. That feels overwhelming because a lot of times family, I don't care what family you're from, family is just a big ordinary mess, right? Most of the time, it's like these up close, more than friendships. I mean, we are relying on each other in a way that friendship doesn't. And we're so close and we hurt each other. We know like exactly what to say to hurt each other, parents, children, husbands, wives, I don't care. We know exactly how to hurt each other, but we also know how to love each other really well. And when that gets expressed, it can be something really beautiful. So today I just wanna think about the concept that our marriages show our children who God is, that our marriages put God on display. And this is a biblical idea In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul was talking to the church about marriage. And he said, uh, he encouraged that the wives would love their husbands in such a way, in the same way, actually, that the church loves Jesus Christ. And that husbands, that their love would look exactly like the love of Christ and how Christ himself loves the church. And Paul goes on to talk about, referring back to Genesis and how this, there's a great mystery around the concept that a husband and wife become one in marriage. But then he goes on to say the great mystery is not that a husband and wife become one. No. The great mystery is that the church and Jesus Christ become one. And that's what he shares with us. And then he, he basically says that in in its highest order, marriage is simply a picture of Jesus Christ and the church and how they relate. Now, again, when I look at my marriage, that feels overwhelming, that my marriage would put Jesus and the church on display for the world. And I'm gonna take it a step further today and just say that our children have a front row seat to this drama of marriage. And I think, I've always thought that my marriage was just there to kind of give the children a good framework to grow up in, a healthy place that I would show them God. But rarely do I think of my marriage as putting Jesus Christ and his church on display for my children. So that's the concept that I want to talk to today. You can turn to Colossians chapter 3, that's where we'll be uh, in the text In Colossians chapter three, one of the reasons I ended up here is because it's one of the few areas in the Bible that God's word speaks directly to marriages and parenting. And it actually, in four verses, he speaks to husbands, wives, and the whole parenting children uh, concept. So I thought it'd be a good place to go. As I looked at family in the Bible and marriage in particular in the Bible, um, what we see is that. Very rarely does the Bible give you exact prescriptive directions. Okay, if you have this problem with your child, this is what you do. And this will make it all better. You know, and that's how often I'll go to the Bible with a question like that. And then I get to this story about a family. And then I have to read it. And then I I have to sort of put myself in the situation of that family. Because the Bible, what it does is it gives us stories about family. There's stories of redemption and adoption You know, we can think of Moses being adopted into a family for a purpose. We can think of Ruth being grafted into a family that wasn't her own. Um, Or we can look at the life of David. If you look at 2 Samuel and read the second half of 2 Samuel, you'll see that David's family was messed up. He had his sons killing each other, uh, brothers killing brothers, and just this Um, really hard example of a a biblical family. God uh, giving us an example of a person, David, who was a righteous man who pursued God, and yet his family was as broken as any family can be. So with all that in mind, I felt like it would be best if we just went to a scripture that was prescriptive, and that's where we are. So, uh, I'm sorry, Colossians chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 18. And listen to the way that Paul starts to connect the picture of marriage with the picture of children and the other image that he adds to that. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong. There is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Oh, ma- these are some powerful words to wives and husbands, to children and parents, and to slaves and masters. But what would, what would bring Paul to connecting these earthly relationships so closely? That's what I was wondering about. And I think the best answer is if we go back earlier to Colossians and look at why do we have Colossians? Why was this letter written to the church at Coloss? Turn back with me to Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. And we'll start to see why Paul is allowed to connect the ideas that he did. Colossians 1.16 says this. It's speaking about Jesus Christ. And it says, For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. This is one of the lessons of of this letter, that Jesus Christ created every authority, every throne, that they were created by him and for him. And this is a really amazing concept to think about. And then it gets even greater because Paul kind of writes us into this story. He writes us into the story of Christ. Look at chapter 2, verse 9. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. Our fullness comes from Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. This is the message, one of the messages of this letter. And turn over to chapter 3. And we start to see where Paul's going with this. Since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And go to verse nine. He says, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its crea- creator. So Paul is saying, think, don't think earthly, think heavenly. And then he says this in verse 11 that really connects to what he's about to say. He says, here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. I mean, he would have just been exploding all of their conceptions of earthly relationships at this point. But he says Christ is all and in all. And then he goes on to tell um, how to live in Christ, how to put on God's compassion to clothe yourself with love and to let every relationship be ruled by the forgiveness that God has already given you. And this is where I pause and I say, wow, this is amazing information. Okay, Christ is the authority over every authority. Every earthly relationship is below that. And even he defines those earthly relationships. He blows them up and says, with Christ, um, those earthly relationships get really flat all of a sudden. And then he tells us how to live. And I think if Paul had ended there, we would just be wondering, well, how does all that work out in the, in the everyday Christian life? And I think he knows that. So he goes, some of your Bibles might say rules for Christian households. And then he goes in to these descriptions about how we're supposed to relate to each other with the understanding that there's only one authority, and that's Christ. And we're all below that authority. So now let's go back through that, that list and see what he really says. He says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. He could have said, uh, Wives, submit to your husbands. Or he could have said, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting. It feels pretty stoic. But he says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And there. Um, in the first century in the Roman Empire, it was understood that, that wives submitted to their husbands. That was a natural order of the way God had created things, and it was still at work, present in their culture. Um, but for him to ask the wife to submit to her husband in a way that is fitting in the Lord, what he was charging the wife to do was to work that out. Um, in Ephesians, he goes into more detail about that. And he goes into a description of how the wife's love really does look like the love the church has for Christ. But here he just, he gives it to us straight. And in verse 19, he he gives it to us straight for the husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Don't be harsh with them. That's all he says. In Ephesians, which is the parallel passage, like I said, it goes into great detail about how a husband is supposed to love his wife like Jesus has cared for and given himself up for the church. But here, I, th- I find it is- interesting. He says, Husbands, love your wives. And he's being so um, simplistic here, not simplistic, that's not the right word. <laughs> he's being so direct here that he really could have left it at that. Husbands, love your wives. But he's, he adds that, don't be harsh with them. Don't be harsh with your wives. And then he goes on, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. He's connecting that back to Ephesians, which ultimately connects back to the the Ten Commandments. The first commandment with a promise was to the children of Israel, that if they would obey their parents, they could look forward to the land that was promised to their people. And that's why Paul says it's the first commandment with a promise. He's pointing back to that. And then it comes back to fathers. Do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. This is where it's good to step back and, and talk about what this means for husbands and wives. Um, I said that uh, children have a front row seat to their parents' marriage. And that happens in different ways and in, in, in our lives that just looks differently. I think of my friend, um, David, who passed away recently, he's about my age. He has four children, and um, he died of cancer. And I remember being at his memorial service and just celebrating his life. We sang that song, Never Once Has God Been Unfaithful. And um, I remember seeing his wife just, just worshiping the Lord and, and just thinking about her reality that now, uh, at least the way she stands right now without a husband, um, she has the task to demonstrate to her children this great mystery that, that Jesus Christ and the church become one, and yet her husband isn't there. Um, but even as I reflect on that, I'm like, there, there's so many biblical parallels to that, that Jesus Christ would give himself up. So she has this opportunity. It's hard for us to call it an opportunity, but she has an a way to share with her children who Jesus Christ really is through the life of her husband that's now gone. And I think it's helpful if we start to look at, we can think, okay, my marriage is pretty messed up or I'm not that great of a husband or I'm not that great of a wife or I struggle sharing with my children what true love is or how not to be harsh or angry with them. And that's the reality of the life we live. But if we take a step back and say, the whole purpose of marriage is to put Jesus Christ and his church on display for the world. And then we invite children to a front row seat of that. Um, I was thinking about in weddings, how there's this cake topper, this like, you know what I'm talking about? The, The plastic cake topper, the classic, like the husband's in a black tux and the wife is in a white dress. It's like, Probably started somewhere in the 40s or 50s. I'm sure it's going to make a comeback. Um, Do you know what I'm talking about? So I I was just thinking about that. We have this uh, picture of marriage at the start. And then children come along if we're blessed by that. And I think that image um, could be tweaked when we think of it. We could bring, you know, a little child and put him in front of that. Like get a little plastic kid with a little chair and put him in front of that little plastic couple. Because starting today, uh, whether you have children or not, you are, for the world, you are an example of how Jesus and his church relate to each other. And I'm encouraged by that image, but I'm also, it's, it's a hard thing to think to live in every day. So I want to give you just a, pra- a couple practical ideas here as we close. Um, the first thing is that children do have a front row seat to your marriage. They get to see things that, I mean, I remember seeing things that I saw when, when I was growing up in my house with my family. I saw things in my parents' marriage that they never expected me to see or they thought I was interpreting a certain way. Um, so your children will see your marriage up front and close. And the question is, what kind of image will they see, especially when it relates to marriage? So I want to end by just asking um, the wives to Fully embrace your role and don't resist it. In this scripture, when Paul was talking to the earthly relationships, one of the concepts is that we would not resist the calling we've been given, but that we would embrace it. You know, even if you take uh, a master and a slave relationship, which is earthly and broken, he calls the masters earthly. he, He spends the most time talking about that. But to the slave, he says, um, don't turn and run. Work at it with all your heart, as if you're working for the Lord. Because unlike slaves are treated in this earth, you do have an inheritance. So don't let the world tell you that you don't have an inheritance. You do have an inheritance. And that's what he promises to slaves. And he says to masters, be fair. You have a master in heaven. And then we can back that up into the children and the parent relationships and the the relationship between husband and wife, which are more God-ordained, and yet they're still this earthly relationship. So to the wives, I I want to encourage you um, not to resist following the leadership of your husband and discover and work out what it means to follow your husband in a way that's fitting to the Lord. That's the great task that you've been given as a wife. And husbands, uh, you have been called to be a head and image of leadership in your home, both with your wife and your children. And so I want to ask you, men and husbands, to uh, model authority well, model leadership well, I don't think it's that surprising that Paul targets in anger and bitterness, anger in marriages and bitterness in children because um, when men uh, allow that to happen in their home, it's um, the wives and the children that that often pay the cost of that, Um, but it's also us as men and husbands not being a good picture of authority. That's what it is. And Paul is correcting something, I think, in all of these relationships. He's, he's correcting this idea that not, not only should we not resist, but we should embrace with the kind of love that God has. As I think about how this works out in real life, um, I think about a few things. It still feels overwhelming, right? To think of your marriage as telling the world and your children up front and close that Jesus Christ loves the church, and the church submits and follows and, and loves Jesus Christ. It's a big ask for us to um, allow our earthly relationships to show this. But I think of the subtle ways over the course of your messy family life. I feel like we get these snapshots where all of a sudden you're having a conversation. And if you can put this image through that conversation, all of a sudden now you're teaching children you thought you were just having an argument slash conversation with your husband or wife, but what you're really doing is you are demonstrating for your children. Uh, it's an opportunity to demonstrate for them how Jesus and the church interact. And I also thought there were more direct ways that we could do this. As our children get older, it may be a, the time might be right for you to tell your children that you represent Christ as the husband and that your wife represents the church. And that, yeah, you're not perfect at this, but this is why we're married. This is why we're trying to show you how God relates to his people. And this is an earthly relationship. It's far from perfect. And yet it can show us something that's beautiful and already been redeemed. So, I think being direct with our children is an important aspect. And then lastly, I would just like to say it again. Husbands, don't be harsh with your wives. And wives, surrender fully to the love of your husband. So allow me to pray for us. Father, I ask that you would um, sp- continue to speak to us through your word this week. God, continue to show us things in our earth re- earthly relationships that matter. Things that need to change things that we're doing well. God, we offer up our marriages to you. We ask, God, that they actually would be biblical, that they would look like what they want, they should look like according to you. And I ask, God, that you would give us wisdom as we pursue this. God, I ask that as our children have a front row seat to our families and our marriages, God, I ask that you would allow us um, to allow them to see everything that happens. And I pray that this would only help them see you more fully. God, we know that they're going to pick up on things that happen backstage that we think they have no idea that this is happening. God, but I pray that we would be authentic in our relationships and that we would really show you. God, I pray for the men that are struggling with anger, God, I lift them up to you, and I ask, God, I ask that you would deal with that in their hearts. Why are they so angry? Help them understand that and deal with it. And for the wives, God, I pray that there would be no fear in them as they live in their role as wife. God, we know it's hard to live in that role in this society but God, I ask for them that you would equip them without fear that they would fully embrace what it means uh, to be a wife that's fitting in your sight. And God, we pray for our children. We pray that they would see us uh, and ultimately that they would see you in everything that we do. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.